0: Did uh, any of you get up this morning early enough to watch the Sunday morning? And Jane Goodall, and she, wasn't that something? And she speaks a lot now, and she, of course, is older. And how does she loosen up her throat cords? (laughs) A little whiskey. I I have a teacup out there. And it's, it's tea, (laughs) although I was tempted. I have a hearing loss. So I've got my hearing aids cranked really high. And I hear echoes and all kinds of things I wish I didn't hear. So I hope you hear me. And if you can't, you have to let me know, which I probably can't do much about. Can you hear the guitar back here for the time being? Oh, great. 1962 B 25 Gibson. Mm-hmm. Can you hear that E? Mm-hmm. It's Elvis. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. This train. Am I on? Close? I'm gonna tell you a sad story later on, about, shortly actually, about my being close or not so close. You can sing along with this if you want. This train is bound for glory, this train. This train is bound for glory, this train. This train is bound for glory. She don't carry nothing but the righteous and the holy. This train is bound Oh, this train don't care no gamblers, this train. This train don't care no gamblers, this train. Oh, this train don't care no gamblers, liars, thieves, no big shot ramblers. Now, this train's bound to go. 1962 I was still in the thralls of Elvis. My mother wasn't. So I would sit upstairs in my bedroom and I thought okay I can play a spiritual rather than jailhouse rock and maybe she'd think I'm okay. But then I think about those moves Elvis made on the Ed Sullivan Show carry no lies, this train. This train don't carry no lies, this train. Oh, this train don't carry no lies, She's streamlined streamline a midnight flyer. This train don't carry no lies, this train. Oh, this train don't carry no comments, this train. This train don't carry no and this train, oh, this train don't carry no comment no wheeler-dealers here in Boston, and this train don't carry no comment, this train, this train is bound for blue. this train, this train is bound this train is bound to go She don't care nothing but the righteous and the whole This train is bound to go This
1: train.
0: The version I sing is actually a a version Woody Guthrie sang. And if you know a little bit about Woody and how he thought, uh, you can connect what he's doing and who he's talking to. Uh, There's an old uh, African-American spiritual with the words, everybody talking about heaven ain't going there. And in this case, Woody Guthrie is saying, well, if there's a train to glory uh, and you're a conman or a liar and anybody who knows Woody knows he was speaking to the politicians, the business class, and he was telling them, you really think you're moral? Why don't we
2: introduce, yeah. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, my name is Cheryl Hemp and I'm a member of this congregation and I'd like to welcome you all to the First Universalist Unitarian Church of Wausau. And if you are new to the church, um, after the service, you can meet me around the corner in the atrium and I will give you a tour and give you more information about the church. I have a couple of announcements today. One is from Joyce Schneider, and she wants everyone to be aware of the Refugee Resettlement Lunch and Learn that will be on November 14th of this, obviously, of next month. Please join members of the congregation and community as we continue to learn about resettlement in Wausau and how you can get informed and involved. We will host a Lunch and Learn on Sunday, November 14th after the service. Members from the church will provide information on current options for you to volunteer as well as become more involved through a potential co-sponsorship. The purpose of the Lunch and Learn is to gather your ideas and interest as well as provide factual information of what is currently underway to assist refugees who will be resettled here in the future. There are many different ways you could be involved, so it is important—so it is the intent of this gathering to learn and explore your interest in helping at whatever level you may be able to help. And there is a sign-up sheet in the church atrium, and she would um, prefer an RSVP. And Greg would like everyone to pay special attention to please turn off your cell phones. And he has assured me that the waves that send and receive the messages to our devices will still be working, even when they're off, so you will get your messages, so, please, if you could do that before the service starts. Thank you. Thank you, Cheryl.
0: Those waves, they're miraculous, aren't they? So, this is my uh, B 25. 1962, I purchased it with a Loan from my father that it took me two years to pay. And at the time, I did not know how to tune it. An even sadder story is, I did not know how to hear the notes that would let me know it was in tune. Well, somewhere in my late 40s, I finally figured it out. My father would come up to my bedroom in our old beat-up farmhouse, and he would pick the guitar up off the bed. First, he would hum that note, that A. A. A lot of times he did it, mm, did it an octave lower, and then he'd fiddle around and he'd get the guitar in tune. I don't know if he had perfect pitch. Maybe it was relative, and he kind of knew what A was. And even when uh, I was, m and be- had become an adult, I would when I knew my dad was coming over, I'd put my B-25 on my bed and he'd come in. Sometime during the visit he'd go back and tune it, and I had to hope that he'd come sooner again because it would go out of tune and I'd play out of tune. <laughs> Sang out of tune, hummed out of tune, I, which I still do. You know, you, you get what you pay for here. <laughs> and uh, But I got better. Somewhere in my late 40s I went to a conference in Madison and a uh, physics teacher and I became fast friends. He played guitar, and I built up the courage, and I, I finally asked the physics teacher, in your science, how do you know it's in tune? How do you know there's a note? And he said, well, you have to think in terms of waves. And he said, just think of it this way. He tried to make it simple for me think of let's say the wave is this big and this far apart and they're coming and they're about this far apart. If two notes of the same pitch are coming together and they're not the same distance apart, they're going to fight and you're going to hear that and I said, well, what if I I don't hear that? Excellent advice he gave me Well, go home and listen. And if you don't hear it the first time, listen longer, and listen longer, and keep listening. And eventually, his thinking was, neurologically, somewhere, our brain, if I listen to that no long enough, is going to pick that up. Mm -hmm. Does that sound? mm -hmm, Am I getting it close? See, it's close. I don't know if I hear the exact thing my father even went to the point of giving me a pitch pipe okay so the lesson is well listen longer that's pretty pretty important don't you think Uh, If you read the music notes, I hope you do. I'm doing the music today of Don Williams. And I've asked a couple of, several people who came into church, well, I'm going to do Don Williams, and i got to look like, who's Don Williams? So, country star, 70s and 80s. Couple of hands, is there anybody else other than me who listens to Don Williams? Look at that, it's pretty bleak. That's pretty bleak. Oh, boy. A man, the light of my life, fate should have made you a gentleman's wife. Remember that song? Yeah. yeah. Well, Don Williams had uh, three, three um, songwriters. He had a lot of songwriters, but he had three of them who were not necessarily writing the forlorn love songs or the cheating songs of the uh, 70s and 80s in country music. They were nuanced and they would throw things in that, right now, I don't think would make it past the producers in in country music. I really don't. Uh, This one's called, I Believe in You. I don't believe in superstars, organic food and foreign cars. I don't believe the price of gold and the certainty of growing old. That right is right and left is wrong. That north and south can't get along. That east is east and west is west. Being first is always best. But I believe in love. I believe in babies, I believe in mom and dad, and I believe in you. I don't believe that heaven waits for only those who congregate. And I like to think of God as love, he's down below. And he's up above He's watching people everywhere And he knows who does and doesn't care And I'm an ordinary man Sometimes I wonder who I am But I believe in love I believe in music I believe in magic Believe in you. Imagine he says he believes that heaven waits for even those who don't congregate. Certainly in the 70s and 80s, that would have gone against the thinking of uh, ordinary folks. So, I don't make it any mystery. I practice not believing. Uh, that's not to say that someday I might not find some understanding or a line of reasoning that leads me to trust in some kind of a divine uh, go so far as to even accept a faith with a capital F. But as a consequence of generally practicing a type of skepticism, I guess, I don't like to think I worship. I don't like to think that I praise any proposed divine. If i writing or speaking and were to reference a God, a divine, or a Lord, you can expect and assume that it, I've got all of those in lowercase. Um, and I'm, I'm honest. Um, I think for the most part, I, I look at um, our liturgy and our church here locally, and it has an affirmation. And an affirmation is the business of saying something is true. And in the affirmation, we say we reference a... Faith in a or a, uh, a sense of a divine with a capital D, and not trying to pick any fights with anybody. I don't say that because that would sound too much like a creed to me, and I step back of it, away from it, because I'm quite convinced of affirmations are a type of leap that I think at times, in terms of understanding, can be dangerous. I'm going to make a couple of suppositions. Uh, the first thing I'm going to talk about is, is math. Uh, I like some of the studies in education. And some decades ago, they were trying to figure out how long it took an average student in math to solve the next equation up in terms of difficulty. So if you knew that student had understood how to solve this type of problem, and now you gave them one with slightly more difficult, difficulty, and you could keep that student focused, how long would it take that average student and this little study determined 27 minutes for the average student. Now I know everybody in the congregation here is above average, <laughs> so our, our time frame would be shorter, of course, and of course we'd have to make some very serious studies to determine how short. But if you think about that, there's something there to in a minute transfer to the business of not believing. Okay, another little area we'll kind of attack here. Do you think you and do you think others around you listen for premises made during any kind of speech, podcast, oration, or sermon. Do You sit there and try to receive those premises, and then when you hear them, do you go, are they true? Can I affirm them? Or do I reject them? Or do I at least question them? You can have your own thoughts. My observations are generally that we do not. Or at least in terms of the general public, we do not. We start listening. and We start hearing the premises, and they build up, and they build up, and they build up, and by the time we're to the end of the oration or the sermon. We've come to a point of what the speaker was trying to throw at us, but we probably have forgotten or set aside all the premises that have been building. We fail to scrutinize them. And so if you've been to any of the summer services with with me, You, you know I do this. And I know it irritates people to some degree. Some people it irritates. And I know with COVID it's going to be somewhat difficult, so I'm going to just make some judgments. But I think people who give speeches, orations, podcasts, ought to stop and give people the right to scrutinize in smaller doses. Have I said anything in the last five minutes or so that you ought to think about? So I'm going to do this about three times. So I'm going to stop right now. COVID is upon us. You might sit and simply think You might safely turn to someone and say a couple words. Now, I'm just going to do this for a few minutes. But you ought to think about if I've said something that doesn't jive or require scrutiny, then you ought to do that. And I guess as a teacher, I've always felt it was my responsibility to stare at snoot students and snarl. And say, my expectation of you is for you to think, to engage. You don't have the right to sit here right now and not engage and daydream. You get to take a couple of minutes and engage or disengage, I suppose. You can tell me to take it wherever you want to take it. I'm going to give you two, three minutes. There might be some noise, It might be embarrassed silence. Did anybody have something they needed to say to me? Yes. Yes?
1: Yes. Uh, you made a comment, something to the effect that you, maybe I got this wrong, but what I heard was that
0: you don't necessarily believe in the hereafter. Um, I'll I'll repeat what you said. Okay. Uh, Ray says, Am I, in effect, saying I don't believe in a hereafter? I don't have any understanding, nor can I establish any line of reasoning to say there would be a hereafter. So I'm very measured in how I say that. And I don't use the word believe because I'm afraid to say I believe something when I don't have a line of reasoning to give me any kind of trust. And I realize that makes people uncomfortable. So, when you talk about believe, it's only based on reason. There's nothing else uh, than makes people believe, only thinking and reasoning. Yeah, yeah, um, Wolf says, when I think about believing, am I isolating it mostly to reasoning and understanding versus the, and I don't want to misuse words, Wolf, uh, other feelings, and I'm uh, refraining from using the word emotion but any other feelings or what seems to be a sense of spirit kind of thing? And I'm going to be straightforward and say, yes, because then I would have to go back and discuss what I think emotions and feelings are. But that's a fair question, and I think it's a critical question. For me, question my intellectual intelligence because reason and reason thinking, I understand also that my thinking is uh, you know, influenced by my feelings. I cannot separate this. Okay. Otherwise, I would just be a computer, and I oh, hope I'm not. Okay. I'll repeat what you said for the group. All right. Okay, and you tell me if I'm accurate. Okay. Wolf would, in his um, View and understanding of what he is as a human would not separate those feelings and spiritual feelings from his lines of reasoning, and you would say that would diminish. Um, and I'm not sure the exact word here. What you are as a human, uh, what you are as an intellect, is that fair? Okay. Okay, so Wolf says my view would be intellectually dishonest. Okay. And I make the point in in I feel it's quite important that that ability to confront, that ability to think differently at a given moment is more critical and more important than just simply always saying, "Um, I've got this belief and we're going to just sit here and nod our head. So I think those two points are critical. I'm not unhappy with them. If you think I am, that's it's the exact opposite. So, I'm going to try to manage my time here, and I'm going to do a song written by uh, one of the greatest songwriters out of Nashville, a fellow by the name of Bob McDill. Uh, McDill wrote a song called Good Old Boys Like Me, and. Um, He tried, uh, in his words, to write a novel in a song. When I was a kid, Uncle Remus, he put me to bed. With a picture of Stonewall Jackson Above my head Then daddy came in To kiss his little man With gin on his breath And a bible in his hand He talked about honor And things I should know Then he staggered a little As he went out the door I can still hear the soft Southern winds in the live oak tree And those Williams boys They still mean a lot to me Hank in Tennessee Well I guess we're all gone what we're gonna be so what do you do with good old And I watched him burn himself up On bourbon and speed But I was smarter than most And I could choose Learned to talk like man On the six o'clock news When I was eighteen Lord, I hit the road But it really doesn't matter how Far I go I can still Hear the soft Southern winds In the live oak tree And those Williams boys They still mean a lot To me Hank in Tennessee Well I guess We're all gonna be What we're gonna be So what do you do with good old boys like me? Yeah, what do you do with good old boys like me? I'm playing a different guitar because we have to let seniors rest. Uh, someday examine the premise, one of the premises in that song. I was smarter than most, so I could choose. Does that mean if you're smarter than others, less, that you can't choose? Who can or who can't? And I've always been uh, taken by that and wondering what, what that all could mean. Uh I think it's important to have a toolkit and the toolkit that I think is valuable is that toolkit of history, culture, let's say anthropology, sociology, and science and history obviously quickly uh, shows us that there's a ever-evolving in a broad swath of creation stories. Uh, Literature makes claims um, that their stories are the one and only and the true ones. Other religious literature just is very comfortable saying they're simply a metaphor for thinking. But we know by studying history that lots of things occur within the question of how did we get here and why are we here. We also know, looking at history and and study of other cultures, that religions um, kind of got a a relationship with politics. So religions sometimes look like political structures or political structures sometimes look like religions, but we know that very often there are going to be trappings of authority, Uh, there's going to be a line of order, there's gonna be somebody who's at the very top and then uh, gatekeepers along the way. And then uh, there's going to be the trappings of ruling, often. There's gonna be vestments, uh, temples, sacred places, things that are holy and pious, things we can and cannot do least we commit some kind of sacrilegious act, uh, again, a going into something that's personal to me, my mother was constantly reminding her five boys that doing certain things were sacrilegious. All five boys were pretty good at being sacrilegious. (laughs) And we also know that within politics and within religions, there's often the Studied attempt to enforce codes, uh, constrictions on behavior. And so we, we know right now we're knee deep in discussions supposedly of what's moral in terms of, let's say, abortion or sexual abuse. And Often I, in my observation, and this is a premise on my part and you can think on your own, I see the failure uh, that occurs to really discuss ethics and morals when it stops with simply a code or a creed that was established at some other time. Uh, Just one story that again, is me demonstrating how I think, and you can think differently. But when I saw that the Catholic Church, the Pope, gathered the bishops to study sexual abuse, and at the end of the study, at the end of that time when they all came together, the Pope issued a statement that it was Satan that was involved and had the upper hand. And nowhere in their discussions did they go into the science of what happens when we suppress sexual feelings. So when I come to science, I'm challenged. I have to try to understand more math than I have an academic background in. And I have to validate and try to build a trust that the math is viable, that they say is actually working. And that, that takes a lot of work. I'm on my uh, third book of trying to understand uh, quantum physics. I'm not doing well. But one of the things that science does in terms of its consistent attempt to understand uh, greater knowledge of the universe and to consistently understand a greater sense of what we are as humans, the connection of our physical makeup to our what appears to be a psychological makeup, emotions to literally the biology and the chemistry of our bodies, uh, they're, they're pretty insistent on that. Um, just this morning I read of a new procedure for the blind to go into the brain, put a camera on, a little pair of glasses, and feed that into the brain in the correct area. And they have been successful at getting a couple of blind people who had, who had been blind for a consistently long time to actually take those signals and put them in the brain and in that chain and start to come up and interpret it as vision. But one of the things that I think is most interesting about science is they work at understanding what is wrong with the understandings they do have. That's the business of falsification, which religions typically do not do. I don't know what you're thinking, but I think you ought to think a little bit, and I'll come back in a couple of minutes. Sometimes I think I have more guts than brains. Probably by mass I do, right? Anybody want to say something? Yes. Yes. One of the critical elements of science is that any theory proposed, any, uh, any uh, what they think might be a truth established, is always open to falsification. That means other scientists, other studies have always have the right to show that that's wrong, and that at the essential element of science is that's what scientists do. They're trying to make sure, is that correct? And of course, the one example in science that is always brought up is uh, the theory of evolution and how there are gaps, but then somebody will make the leap, well, that's where God is, but then the scientists keep at it, keep looking at it, and they're able to fill that gap in. And so, to this point, most, I think, scientists would be pretty comfortable saying, Darwin's theory has not been falsified. But, obviously, there are other scientific elements that have been falsified, and then we start to change things. I think it's interesting, Um, Leanne just mentioned the other day, well, now, do we take aspirin or don't we take aspirin? Okay, I'm going to repeat what you said, Dennis, and make sure that I'm accurate. Uh, Dennis uses the word applied science, and that you can take anything, not anything, you can take discoveries within the sciences and apply them in such a way that they become extremely unethical, dangerous, and perhaps, quite frankly, capable of destroying the earth, we think we cherish. Is that fair? I'm going to let this gentleman talk.
1: Yeah, uh, <clears throat> um, when you were talking stuff about falsification and science, you know, the first thing I thought about was your subconscious mind. Your subconscious mind is its where like most of your brain activity is and it's part of your limbic system. It's what you do. We're usually created. Our own identity is created by our subconscious. And I just kind of thought, well, you know, who can say what's what's real and what's not, or what's true or what's false? I mean, is there ever a line there? I mean, people think that you know, whatever we create in our minds, um, whatever we Creating in our minds is like it's all fake, but who can say it's fake? If we think about it, it's all real.
0: Okay, and you're going to keep me honest as I try to repeat what you said.
1: Yes. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I just it's I just kind of had this epiphany. Okay. I just kind of well, thought, you
0: know, I have certainly heard what what you're saying, and uh, so give me the best. Give me the best shot at it here, okay. So there's this idea that so much of what we are and how we view ourselves is done subliminally in a subconscious state. We're not conscious of it, and so what happens is if we have 50 people in this congregation, we have 50 different views of reality building within that subconscious, And can we control that or can we not control that? And so then, therefore, what can we or why should we falsify things versus uh, letting everything go its way? Reasonably close?
1: That's pretty accurate. Okay. That's pretty accurate. (laughs) Okay. And
0: if you notice, um, I'm not going to sit here and say, well, I disagree or I disagree. That's not the point. The point is somebody listens, has the right and a responsibility in the process of believing or not believing, of thinking, I have to think about this. Someone heard a premise and has to apply it. And that I respect. All right. So, I know there's this general principle that you don't go beyond an hour, Um, so I'll try to honor that. This particular song uh, can be sung and has been sung as often as um, praise and worship. (laughs) So it maybe sounds a little out of place. Um, But if you read the music notes, and if you're able to listen, if I'm able to do this well enough, which is always a question, um, I think you'll hear that it's more than Praise and worship. feeling empty and misunderstood. I should be thankful, Lord, I know I should. Lord, I some would say that within that song is an indictment. Um, I like to think about, and I'll kind of model some thinking here for you. And again, you get to do your own thinking, don't you? Um, I like to think about how I struggle to think about nothing. So, you immediately ask, well, what is it? So what you do is you try to start to think of something to explain nothing. That's the end of my Seinfeld routine. It's the best I can do. (laughs) Um, So if I go back to science, and. I think of time and space and that the idea that time and space exists because this singular, infinitesimally small mass explodes the Big Bang. And that Big Bang pushes the galaxies, the gases, outward and they're still moving, the galaxies are moving away. There's no way right now that you can look out into the heavens and see that the galaxies are coming back. Because if they start to come back, that's gravity. And gravity is a pretty pretty critical law that says then it's going to all come back to the singularity. So there's this business of time and space, and existing outside of time and space is sometimes a concept uh, that some religions use. Um, So where do the divines exist? Did the divines exist outside of time and space? And how can that be? Uh, If they exist inside time and space, well then they were created by whatever occurred to create time and space. I get to thinking about nothing and I think probably all of us have thought about, well, if you have to think about nothing, well, what do you do? Do you first think about black? Well, black is something. Black has a presence. Do you think about somehow silence? Silence is something. Ask someone who's hard of hearing. It's measurable. So I'm careful. I'm very careful because I'm perhaps unable to understand the business of nothing and what exists inside and outside of space. And from that, I'm not always able, well, I'm not able to establish the business of divine. It doesn't Calculate for me. Waves, on the other hand, we can't see them, but by golly, they're there in many, many forms. And one of the most critical waves is that we can still detect the microwaves that would have had to have been created by an explosion and they're still there. They still come back to us. I'll give you a couple minutes and then I'll sing a final song. But if you've got something to think about or say, do it, and then I'll sing a closing song and we'll be done. Raise a hand so I can see where you're at. Okay. And you know I come by you not to intimidate you because I have a lot of horrible hearing. Oh,
1: it's okay. okay. that's true i mean when i when i'm trying to think of nothing i think of dust settling and well that is something but it's you're just trying to calm your mind i mean everything is waves we always perceive our world as like physical but it had to be created by something i mean on a very atomic level things are made by energy so who can say like this is nothing I mean, we can't see it, but it's, it's always there. We always send off waves. Everything is made out of energy.
0: Again, correct me so I'm hearing you right. You look at the universality of waves throughout, of, throughout Earth, life, the eternal, the constant presence of, of a wave, and I, th- and I don't know if, I don't want to misinterpret you, but you, in, you infer that those waves are at many levels, some of which seem to be kind of interpersonal signals kind of thing that we might be sending. We wonder about it, yet we also know that some of them like these uh, waves that make our phones buzz in our pocket. Those we can measure, you know, and we can time them but then you also reference that they seem to possibly have another realm, different edge of a realm. Fair
1: can I say one more big too?
0: Well, yes you can about the identity.
1: What I thought was interesting was throughout time as a kid, I always thought that, you know, God was this higher power, but as soon as I've been studying and researching Many different beliefs of like higher powers and divinity. There are either the universe or, or God or many gods or you being God. Because how how do you think Jesus was Jesus? He took place of God's teaching. So who was there first and what was there first? We, we don't know. But we perceive it and he become what we believe. If that's what I'm interpreting correctly.
0: <laughs> okay. And, and I'll repeat. Um, there's, a, there's a long history of how we look at the creation of uh, the universe and trying to interpret a God as a defined being, as in a, a Jesus of Nazareth kind of thing, that that you you step back from. You're uncertain. Okay. Um, if you've ever read Einstein or Hawking, um, something they always do is they they want to remind people that they're very human. And that they're amazed at things. And that one of the reasons they're scientists is because they are amazed. And they permit that amazement to be a part of their life. I have an incurable disease. I like to introduce my guitars. This is a bourgeois. Can you see? What does it say there? Oh, it says bourgeois. Bourgeois. Dana Bourgeois is a luthier out in Maine and I own one of his guitars. (laughs) Miracles, miracles. That's what life's about. Most of you must agree If you've thought it all I can see and I can hear I can tell you why I can think and I can feel I can even cry I can walk, and I can run, I can swim in the sea, we have made a baby child, and they look like we, miracles, miracles, that's what life's about, most of you, must agree if you've thought it out. Well, who is rich and who is poor? Who has more than me? What I have quite enough to eat, and my mind is free. Miracle. Miracles. That's what life's about. I found you, and you found me. We are not without, we are not without. Good day.